Blog Talk Radio. We believe in the American way, and we built this country called the USA, and we fly our flag because we're proud and free, we're Americans. Red, white, and blue is our way of life. Never back down from a challenge or a fight. Nature provides, God gives the rights, we're Americans. Make up America, but it's amazing America. Welcome to our Convention of States podcast, That Provident Article. This podcast series is a weekly discussion concerning the fifth article of the United States Constitution, the amending provision, with a general view on the phrase Convention for Proposing Amendments and specific focus on the Convention of States project. My name is Paul Hodson. I am the co-director here in the great state of Texas. Each week we meet to educate ourselves on Article 5 to promote the Convention of States project and its use of Article 5 to reign in our federal government. For more information regarding the Convention of States project, I invite you to visit www.conventionofstates.com. Later in the show, if opportunity allows, our call-in number is 914-205-5632. Further contact information is available at blogtalkradio.com for that Provident article. We want to thank Madison Rising, America's most patriotic rock band, endorsers of the Convention of State project, for the use of all the music here on our episodes of That Provident Article. Please visit their website at www.madisonrising.com. And a quick review as we begin our show, Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution is available there in full on blogtalkradio.com on our site. We particularly look at that phrase, Convention for Proposing Amendments, as initiated by the applications of two-thirds of the state's legislatures. And we want to point out the subject matter of our application at the Convention of States. Three points. Impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. We're going to head straight to the interview portion this morning. Our guest is Martin Harry. He is the legislative liaison for the Convention of States Project here in Texas. He's going to share with us what it means to be the legislative liaison and how we can best help support him in that position. How, how you got involved in politics and, and working with the Convention of States Project? Well, I initially got involved in politics when I became aware of Ronald Reagan in 1975. I must have seen him on television, and he expressed a political philosophy that just resonated with me, and I, even as a young teenager. And uh, I grew up being very independent, and Reagan spoke about individual responsibility, individual liberty as factors fundamental to making this a, an exceptional nation. And in 1980, I was a volunteer with his campaign. After college, I went to law school, and I, uh, while in law school, I got commissioned in the Naval Reserve in the Judge Advocate General's Corps. And upon graduation, I went on active duty. Actually, it was New Year's Eve, 1988. Uh, and I was uh, proud to serve under Ronald Reagan as commander-in-chief before he left office. Uh, I worked in government until about 1996, and I started my own law practice. So really due to legal and economic reasons, I wasn't very politically active until, again, until 2008 when President Bush and Congress started awarding billions of dollars in bailouts, private corporations, and we saw the national debt increasing, uh, taxes going up, 
and spending going up, and that, I think, led to the rise of the Tea Party movement. And uh, I actually joined the protest march in Austin at the time. And then in 2008, of course, we had uh, the election uh, of uh, President Obama and the Democrats took control of the executive and legislative branches. And it just seemed like every day I woke up to find the president and Congress was regulating, taxing, and spending with virtually no limits. So I was becoming more and more disenchanted with what was happening. Then in 2013, I downsized my law firm and started started looking for a way to get involved. And I learned of, I think it was the Mount Vernon Assembly that was planned, I think it was in December of 2013. And I somehow found the Convention of States website and uh, volunteered to be the legislative liaison. Uh, the position was already filled, but I met the woman that was the legislative liaison. She was in Round Rock and she was looking for, actually for a way to reduce her role in the organization because of other commitments. And so she recommended that I replace her, and that's basically how I got involved. Wow, terrific. I, I did not know almost any of that story, and um, <laughs> partic- particularly with your Navy background, it must please you that here in Texas, our author, the author of our bill, is a Navy man himself, uh, Rick Bullet Miller. So, um, you Navy guys yeah. have it going. Well, and I I actually, when I met, went, went to meet with him to ask him to file the legislation, I did a little background research myself, so I knew that he had been in the Navy, and I certainly made a point of making sure he knew of my <laughs> history <laughs> at the time I met with him. Your legislative liaison here in Texas, to me, it's always one of the more mysterious positions. What does this person do? And and I think some people get the impression that's the person who's going to meet with all the legislators. And so my job here as the district captain is just to kind of meet all my supporters. That guy will take care of everything. That's not truly the case. What are your responsibilities as a legislative liaison? Well, as I see it, uh, as a legislative liaison, I have really, I think, two basic responsibilities. One is knowing who are the state legislators and what their position on an Article 5 Convention of States may be, and two, assisting with developing and implementing a legislative strategy to promote and pass the legislation. Um, My actual duties are somewhat different depending on whether the legislature is in session. Uh, While in session, my function is more as a lobbyist, meeting with legislators to educate them about our legislation and why they should support it. In the last session, I visited the Capitol regularly, as you know, to visit offices, drop off literature and petitions, and to schedule meetings with the legislators or members of their staff. Uh, out of session, as we are now, I, I need to keep the state leadership team informed of political developments, primarily intervening elections, which may affect the disposition of the legis- legislature the next session. And the elections provide an opportunity for the organization's volunteers and supporters to help candidates who will favor our legislation if they're elected. So COS needs to identify the candidate's position on the issue and then determine in which ra- uh, races there are opposing views. And only with that information can the organization encourage volunteers to campaign and vote for the candidates most compatible with our efforts. I think it's we also need to demonstrate our political power as an organization for both supporters and opponents because when we were meeting with legislators last session, some of the legislators had uh, political concerns, more political than philosophical concerns. And in this uh, election time, it's important to demonstrate that we do have a certain political clout that we're going to hopefully remind them of the next session. We don't always think about that in terms of they need to know either that we have their back in support or that we are there and we may rise up in opposition and actually keep them even from obtaining office. 
Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we we can demonstrate that with a number of emails and calls and petition signers and that type of thing. But I think that it doesn't have the same effect if they they never hear about it otherwise. And if right. it's just uh, campaign time, you know, even for supporters, it, every time, even if we know that they're a supporter, that doesn't mean that we should just ignore them because uh, they need to know that it's not just an issue that we appreciate their support on, but we want them to make it a priority. And the only way they're going to make it a priority is if they hear about it uh, regularly and routinely as they go about their business. Okay, now you you mentioned something, the first thing, which is to kind of evaluate, determine where either a legislator or a candidate stands on the convention of states. What are some of the tips and tricks you can give us to figure some of that? Because politicians are, are notorious for being very sly and kind of they want to avoid commitment uh, until the very last moment. And so some, well, you know, it's extremely difficult at times to figure out what in the world they're actually going to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what is one of the biggest challenges that I have is that we have 150 state representatives, 31 state senators in a very large state. And my ability to perform as a legislative liaison depends so much on the quality of the information that I have. The best source would be the people at the local level, grassroots level, who are going to have an opportunity to perhaps see the, the legislate, legislators or candidates either in person or in news reports. Just They're going to be in a much better position to, to hear from them. And it's not just whether they're necessarily for or against, but even an indication of what concerns they may have. I mentioned we have some legislators last session that were politically, but they had their, their opposition was based primarily, uh, it was primarily political, and others it was primarily philosophical, and for some it was both. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, one masks the other. Someone may, may say it, that they have philosophical concerns, but what they're really concerned about is political risks of supporting it are greater than the political benefits. So anything, any information that somebody at the local level can provide that gives us a clue of what their position is and whether it's political or philosophical, philosophically based, uh, is helpful. So if in, if at, at this time during the, the, an election uh, where the legislators, incumbents, and, and candidates are probably going to be most accessible to the constituents, in the individual districts. So if they're confronted, they're going to be likely be more forthcoming in their views. And even if they're not forthcoming, that also gives us a clue as to what they may be thinking. So I, I think it's um, important that if the if the, these legislators, they're all candidates, uh, at least in the in the House, they're all up for re-election, the ones that are uh, seeking to return, they're going to be more sensitive to what, the, what which issues are important to their constituents and I think more likely likely to actually state a position on it. So if it's whether it's um, meeting with them personally, going to public meetings where they're likely to be asked, they're going to know that much um, more readily than I would. And if they can right. communicate that to, to me, then I can communi- communicate that to the leadership team and who's going to be more responsible for deciding how best to utilize resources that we have. Great. That's uh, that's the approach, and, and I know that's the push from the state leadership he- team here in Texas. These next two months for us are really crucial in being able to garner a lot of information, maybe more so than we will have the rest of the year, uh, which is kind of strange mm-hmm. to believe, but it, it, will, it will give us a big jump 
start on 2017. People think that, oh, we get all this time. It's all going to happen right now in the next two months with the primary coming up. It's going to be a whirlwind of activity on the political and campaign scale that uh, these people will be out making their stop, making their visit, their appearances at every ribbon-cutting ceremony and every little community and civics organization that exists. And we we just need to get people out there, even if they just get a 30-second, what do you think of Article 5 or the Convention of States, and have you heard of this? And uh, Any information we can get back is great. But, yeah, I've heard of it, I support it, or get back with me. And even if it's not them, their staff people are going to be all over the place, too. This is the time we can make Mm -hmm. great contacts. And and we need to relay that information back to you because, uh, unfortunately, you just can't be in all 150 districts. Well, and I can give you two examples from last session why this is important. Two people end up taking two different positions on HJR 77, Representative Clardy and Tan Parker. They're, they're both on the Federalism Committee, what we refer to as Federalism Committee. Clardy, well, um, you know, we were having a difficult time meeting with either one of them, and uh, eventually uh, I met with both personally, and it turns out that you know, Clardy, in my discussion with him, he, he either, I don't know if it was a, a lack of uh, interest in the subject, it just... Uh, he was whether I wasn't really sure how informed he was, but it was obvious that he didn't have any philosophical concerns about it at all. It didn't really matter to him in terms of you know objections that people expressed about an Article Five Convention of States. His real concern was just political. It was what was it going to be beneficial to him to support it or more beneficial to oppose it. And so now with Ken Parker, it was just the opposite. He, he wasn't concerned anything about uh, the political ramifications of his position, he had strictly philosophical concerns. His biggest concern was that uh, the Convention of States could result in the elimination of the Electoral College, and that if that ever happened, that the Republican Party would never win a national election again. I, you know, he he didn't really seem to have any concerns about the political consequences of you know his decision one way or the other. So, but if I had known that before going into those meetings, I would have been much better prepared to address their uh, concerns specifically. So, if they had been confronted and if they had discussed the issue to with a constituent beforehand, that uh, that may have been revealed so that we could have tailored our message to them. And so that, you know, ideally, uh, we want to have that, that information before the next session. So whoever is elected, we're going to have that advantage. Well, let me ask a follow-up on that. Is that information you can get from their staff members, or is that something that, that our volunteers and our, our district captains are going to really probably have to have at least 15 to 30 minutes with the legislator or the candidate to figure out what they're thinking? I think it just depends. I, I don't think it necessarily can is uh, something that they're going to express clearly. It, it may be something that we kind of discern from different communications that they may have. So, it, you know, it, that's the reason why I think it's important that if they say anything, that they that that's communicated to us so that we can put that piece of information together with the other information we may have had, you know, garnered ourselves from other sources and put it together and, and uh, develop that strategy. So, but if somebody actually has a, a one-on-one personal meeting, then they may be able to actually if they're, the legislator is really upfront about it, uh, they they may, you know, like Tan Parker was. I mean, he he it was pretty obvious. He had very specific concern, and that was with the electoral college. I mean, that was an example, at least the example that he gave me as far as concern about potential amendment or wholesale revision of the Constitution that he thought could result from an Article 5 Convention of States. So, you know, that, that's where, you know, he, he was going to be more likely influenced by someone that had the familiarity with the framers' intent 
and the the history behind the amendment or the article rather versus going in and saying you know we our organization is is this big and you know we can uh, help you politically <laughs> uh, sustain your position if you if you support us I mean that that just wasn't going to move one thing we want to stress is we don't want every supporter in the state in your own state contacting your legislative liaison work through your district captains on that because our district captains aren't the only ones who necessarily have contact with the legislators sometimes it, it's people who are just supporters or volunteers who have great insight or, or maybe even insiders with a legislator or a candidate and they can give us they can give great feedback through their district captain and run it up that way we don't need you having mm-hmm. here in Texas getting 38,000 emails and phone calls from people we're, we're organized in a manner to stay local so contact your your local point of contact which is your district captain and run it through that way that'll that'll help out your legislative liaison greatly I, you might have already covered a lot of this but the, the biggest challenges you face as the legislative liaison I, th- I think it was probably I, I think I, I had a certain naivete uh, going into the last session just uh, from lack of experience with the process I think uh, obviously, the legislative process by design is difficult, but I, I was a little bit surprised by how, how much more difficult it is made in in ways based on political relationships in the legislature. I learned from my experience that it's not just important getting the legislation filed, but by whom it's being filed. Uh, I, I witnessed legislation being filed by legislators who did so on behalf of constituents for whom it must have been very important, but the legislators did nothing to advance the legislation. So it, it actually was more adverse for these constituents to have this legislator file the legislation and do nothing because it prevented or it uh, resulted in no other legislator filing the same legislation, who, and they may have been more willing to work to promote it than the one that did. And we kind of experienced that ourselves when first became the legislative liaison. I was told that, you know, we had one legislator that was had, had already committed to filing the legislation. And so that kind of resulted in our relying on that one legislator to do what he promised. At least that's, that's the way it was presented to me, was that it was a promise. And it didn't happen. Then, you know, some of the legislators may defer to somebody else, uh, some uh, some other legislator, to file something, and they they can more adversely affect it by doing nothing and 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 getting people to rely on on them than actually opposing it if somebody else filed it. So I, I guess <laughs> learning the uh, who the legislators are, who is more effective than not, uh, who's more politically courageous than not. I think that's a, a big challenge in, in terms of what the, my duties are. Once when the legislature is in session, uh, you know, outside then I would say it's probably just a matter of you know communication and getting the information. Boy, that's uh, I hear you on that. Uh, I'll tell people we truly didn't know what we were doing down in Austin. It, it kind of showed at times. <laughs> I think at times that worked to our advantage in that we aren't. We've heard that there are a lot of lobbying and advocate groups that are fairly coarse and brusque, and we just treat people nicely and we we get a lot of that that your organization is very professional and nice well we haven't been hardened by the process and hopefully we don't get hardened by the process but you're right we 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 truly were kind of amazed at at the uh the circus at times that that runs down in austin and uh i know that from other state legislatures around the country it's not dissimilar to other places so uh, mm-hmm. Learning the ins and outs. That uh, unfortunately we sit here and go, we're running out of time in our nation, and we're going to have to be patient to as we learn this. But 
uh, we certainly appreciate your work, and we're better prepared for the next time. Yeah. Um, well, and, and one other, just one other thing, I I say I learned from experience is that actions speak louder than words when it comes to the to the legislators. That I, I think you had one one of the, the things that became apparent is that uh, just because someone would say that they support it, that didn't mean a whole lot. Uh, that uh, unless a legislator actually signed on as a joint author or a co-author or a sponsor. Uh, whichever was appropriate, they weren't committed. You know, that, that's something that you cannot just make an assumption because someone says something in a private meeting until they actually commit publicly or do something consistent with their private promise, you, you can't rely on it. You know, I'm going to follow up on that, uh, not with a question, but with a statement. I uh, This is something for us as supporters and anyone who's out there speaking with your legislator. Don't commit them to something publicly that they haven't told you that they are ready for you to commit publicly to them. And I'll just give my own experience with Senator Birdwell, who I desperately wanted, you know I desperately wanted him to sponsor our legislation. Uh, For Mm -hmm. various reasons, he believes he was not the right person to do that, and I will trust his judgment on that. But I knew a year ago, now it's more than a year ago, I knew he was going to be supportive of us, but we could not get a commitment from him until it was very late in the session. Uh, And even at one point, uh, his chief of staff told me it was down there, I think, when the House was voting. And I went into the office and he passed me in in the uh, entryway and he said, "Uh, Senator Birdwell's got your back. And I I said, Ben, what are you telling me? He says, I'm telling you as a constituent, which meant you can't go public with that, (laughs) which was even more (laughs) frustrating. But, But we do want to be protective of our legislators in some respects in that if they aren't giving you the permission to go public with that, A, you can't really count on it, but but B, you want to have some integrity and say, you know what, I'm glad you trust me with that. I'm not going to go public till you let me know. Uh, and they did let me know the next week I was able to go public with it. And mm-hmm. certainly he's a, he's shown himself to be a strong supporter, but you're right. You don't know what they're going to do until either they actually vote or – and we saw people even change their vote on the floor, <laughs> which was rather strange. <laughs> Or, or they've done something which is is very public in committee. You know, if Senator mm-hmm. Birdwell were to, to give the testimony he gave, and then it had actually gone to a vote and he'd voted no, that would have been very strange. Sure. So when they give a when they give a strong defense publicly, then then you pretty much know they're committed. And the, the other thing is so that we know that support in itself is not sufficient. That. <laughs> Uh, you know, we could have superior majority of the 150 legislators say that they support an Article 5 Convention of States, but unless it's made a priority, it's not going to get through the process. Right. So we, we not only have to uh, make certain that we educate and get these legislators committed, we have to make it a priority for them. That's the only way that we can actually succeed. I mean, that I, that's a, you know, we've, we see so much legislation filed, you know, know, a very small percentage of it ever gets passed. And so it could get buried uh, in in the the process, um, either intentionally or unintentionally, if if nobody makes it a priority. And as much as it is our single highest priority to get it passed, we have to have that commitment from the person that's actually filing the legislation. And I think that was that we had a certain degree of luck last session that we were fortunate that Representative Miller made it a priority. He actually worked for it. Now, I mean, we, we had a lot to do with that, but still uh, had one of the other individuals that was <laughs> telling us that they they might file it uh, done. So uh, I don't think it would have gone uh, as far as, as HDR 77 did. Biggest surprises in your experience with convention of states in general and as the legislative liaison in particular? Well, I, I, it's kind of related to 
the the challenge. I I I think I, I was a little bit surprised how difficult it was to. I think, move legislation that, for me, uh, had such merit to it. And I was a little bit surprised by, it was a little bit surprising to me how much division there is in the in the legislature, not between Republicans and Democrats as much as between Republicans and Republicans. <laughs> I just thought, I was expecting it to be a, a much more partisan place. And it, it, so much of the legislation that passed, passed easily. I mean, even out of the committee. You know, in, in our case, it was party line uh, for the most part, but so much of the legislation that it's not really partisan. It's it's kind of more mundane stuff that uh, it's not really where you take, have a left position, right position, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat division. It's more kind of parochial type things where is it uh, something that the state should handle or the local level should state, we, should we defer to these people or other people? Who's making going to be making the decisions? It's more it's more political in that sense as far as you know who has the political clout uh, to, to award those things too. And it doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. They, they're right. both doing the same thing. So our our legislation was kind of one of the, I think, few where there was a, a more of a partisan divide. But our difficulties were more with within the Republican caucus than because there are so few Democrats in the legislature. Right. So it was just a little right. bit surprising me, kind of the, the political dynamics of the legislature. A little bit eye-opening, uh, discouraging in some ways, but they'll just have to deal with us. I was going to say we're going to have to deal with them, but they're going to have to deal with us. We outnumber them. Yeah. Well, and, and that's <laughs> really, I, I, but I think that this, you know, we're... It um, means something for how we approach this in in the next session because you know this is just this is applicable not just to the convention of states but other legislation as well that we're, we're you know rather than trying to portray this as, as as a response to a liberal administration or a Democrat administration or policies that this, this is really about what we're for is limiting you know what the application says limiting the power jurisdiction scope of the federal government and that is really kind of a political objective that this is this is something right. that whether you're on the left or the right you know the, the left uh, you know they're promoting campaign finance reform and they even have their own you know, con, you know article 5 effort for that to repeal, basically repeal Citizens United decision. You know, that's motivated because people think that they have too little influence, power and influence in Washington. Well, the reason why the power and influence in Washington is so important is because it's we have such a big and powerful government. If we limited right. the size, scope, jurisdiction of the federal government, people would feel less disenfranchised. Good stuff. All right, last thing, and I know you've covered a lot of this already. How, how can our convention state supporters uh, best help you, and more generally, how can convention state supporters in their states help support their legislative liaison in a well, nutshell. Well, just specifically, yeah, I would just say uh, just um, being a, attentive at the grassroots level as to what's going on with the candidates during the election and with the legislators once once the election's over and maintaining communication with their legislators uh, even even once they've taken a position, if they're for and against it, just reminding them that this is an important issue and if they can relate it to something that's going on that's in the news that they can relate it to another example of an overreach by the federal government and say this is the reason why I support this and, and just keep reminding them what their position is so that it stays in the forefront uh, and and, it, and hopefully we'll, they'll make it a priority and then uh, can oh. communicate any responses that they get uh, either personally or that they see you know evident in the news or elsewhere uh, if they can communicate 
communicate that up the chain of command through the district captains to us, the, the leadership, that would be very helpful. That's probably the best thing that you know I could hope for. Martin, I truly do appreciate you taking time out for the interview. Um, I hope that uh, the folks who are listening get some good information from this on how to treat your legislative liaison. He, he needs your help. He, he needs information <laughs> from you. I mean, it, it really is about information for you. You've got to have that information or, or you can't help us help us direct what we need to do uh, across the state. And one, so, if I forgot to mention it, one thing, uh, if I could add, that if, if, if we're dealing with someone who already is a legislator and if somebody is, is planning on meeting with them or communicating with them, if they want to, to see if we have any past experience with them, that would be helpful for them to know before they meet or speak to them, by all means, I would encourage them to ask me and talk yeah. to me uh, because that's like how we started was, you know, I did a little research in, in Representative Miller's background and I, and I tried to find any way that I could uh, to influence him to assist our effort. There may be some past experience that would help them tailor their message to their representative uh, before, you know, uh, in going into the, the initial meeting. Martin, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to let you get done on with the rest of your day here, and uh, we appreciate your work here in Texas so much, and we'll be talking with you later. Uh, but again, thank you very, very much for the interview. All right. Thanks, Paul. That will wrap it up for this week's episode. Next week, please tune in. We'll be talking with Chief of Staff for Senator Brian Birdwell, Ben Stratman. I invite you to listen in on that podcast as well. Get some great information from someone who's working inside the staff of a state senator. And that will do it for another episode of That Provident Article. We want to again give a thank you to Madison Rising. Go visit their website at www.madisonrising.com. I especially want to again send you to www.conventionofstates.com. If you haven't volunteered, if you haven't signed a petition, become a supporter, please go out there and do so. Get involved with your state legislatures. Get involved with your state team in whatever state you're in. And again, a big thank you to the Texas Convention of States team. Thank you to all the listeners here. We appreciate it. And we'll listen to Madison Rising and America the Beautiful.